Hey, this is Rabbi Zev Bennett. And Ariella Anushi. Welcome to episode three of the Embodied Torah series. This episode is entitled Alignment. The reason why it's entitled that is because we just had uh, two episodes. Episode one, we basically built out this idea of what Embodied Torah actually is. And episode two, we focused on the concept of breath and how to actually use that both practically, physically, and also in terms of the underlying conception of that. And that led us into this topic. Essentially, we're titling it Alignment because it's this macro giant topic. So, Ariel, I guess maybe you want to tell us a little bit about what this alignment idea is first from your end, and then we'll try to build it out into something even to bring in some of the Torah side of it and, and flesh it out. Yeah. Um, so alignment is a lot of times when people come to work with me, they're like, oh, I need to be more aligned. I need to be straight. And I like... If you've ever looked at a spine, we're not straight. We had there's curvature in our spine because otherwise we would be on all fours. We can't stand upright with a perfectly straight spine. Right. Um, so alignment is not straight. It's it's more subtle than that. What's the quality of the relationship between one part to the next? Hmm. So if you're looking, let's take the spine as an example. If you're looking at the vertebrae of your spine, if you have someone with scoliosis, they have curvature in the spine. If you try to force them into a straight spine, they're going to be in pain all the time because that's not realistic for them for the way they are built. Instead, what we're trying to do is figure out what is the, the optimal relationship between one vertebrae to the next to allow them to function, to allow flow of nerves of information of blood of of oxygen through their body and and we're looking at that not only in the spine we're looking throughout the entire body but we're not just talking about the physical body we're also talking about the energetic body the mental emotional body the the spiritual body and how are we living in alignment with our values how are we right. coming into alignment with with our thoughts with our feelings really um, becoming aware of it and and figuring out what we need to strengthen, what we need to let go of to to allow that to be. Right. So here's a cool, I think kind of a cool Gemara that's, uh, like that you're making me sort of think of it as this Gemara, which says that, you know, there's 600, you know, the first of the Gemara, which says there's 613 mitzvot. It's actually, it appears in two places, once in Maseches Makos and once in this Medrash in the beginning of Parshas Vayishlach, where it says, Im levan garti vayichar ad ata. And the word garti, you could rearrange the letters and it comes out to taryag. And there the Medrash says, oh yeah, taryag mitzvot shamarti. Like Yaakov is basically saying there that I lived with levan and I still had these 613 mitzvot. And we're very used to that concept because it's like just well known. Everyone 613. knows. 613 mitzvot. Um, but the question there is kind of like, well... What are, why are there even 613, such a specific number? But there's another Gemara which says you can actually break those apart into two categories. There's mitzvot los ase, and negative commandments, and there's mitzvot ase, the positive ones, and there it's, so it's 248 positive ones, 365 negative ones, and then it tells you, yeah, the 248 ones are analogous to like the organs of the body, and then the 365 are like the bones and the sinews, all of these, <clears throat> these support structures of the body. So I always thought that was like very random because are there actually 248 
of those and 365 of those. And the answer to that seems to be that the number doesn't actually, right. it's not significant intrinsically in terms of actually reflecting the body. It's like if you actually look at our body, if you try to count the number of cells, there's trillions of them. So if you, you could kind of break your body apart into lots of different segregations. Um, but the the meaning of the, the 248, 365 is that there's basically, there's the parts of your body that you use to move forward, to create, to build things. And there is the 365 support structures that you need in order to keep everything together so you can continue to create things. So what that, if you think about, you know, in a relationship, so we have these negative commandments, like think, don't do these things that will cause damage to the structure of the relationship. Now, that's not the point of the relationship. We don't, we don't, we don't just intrinsically want to avoid damage. We want to actually build. build. So, but, it, but you can't build if you don't have a support structure that keeps everything where it needs to be. So then we have the 248 vessels, tools, organs, whatever word that is. In the relationship setting, it's like the things that we do together to build things. And so like the, the whole concept of alignment as you just articulated in the body. So it's almost like the, like the mitzvah structure and really the Torah structure on, uh, uh, overall is about trying to fit all the pieces, trying to figure out how to, get, how to relate the pieces to each other in a way that will then activate the totality, whatever the entity is. So with our bodies, I mean, you just essentially articulated, it. it's like, well, when your body is, when there are parts of it that are out of alignment, that could be true physically. And then it can also be true emotionally. And then it can also be true mentally, intellectually, thought-wise. You can have thoughts that are out of alignment with each other. And then there's uh, and then there's just the the root, the, 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 we'll call it the world of perception. I, I like to call it that just because it, it, make, it gives it a little bit more of a concrete, concrete label. Um, but yeah, that's all. That seems like it's all part of that that same story, essentially, of trying to bring all the parts. And again, the funny thing about the body is like they're not even really separate parts. Right. I was going to say when you're talking about the support structures in the body on a cellular level, we now know that there's cellular memory, there's cellular wisdom. We used to think that that memory is stored in the brain and in the nervous system, but we now know that that cells themselves carry memory and and i mean that is wild to really think about um the body knows when right. we can get out of our our way get out of our own way right we can we can reconnect <clears throat> to that, that wisdom that the body carries like oh you know the, the malach hit us here and we we forgot all the torah that we learned right. okay we might have forgotten it on an intellectual level but on a cellular level that that existence the body wants to be in balance on a cellular level we want to be functioning as effortlessly as possible right and and our work here is to be able to to cultivate the tools the wisdom to be able to identify what is pulling me out of alignment which is making making the body need to work harder to function because the body always wants the body. When I say the body, I'm not just talking about the physical body. Um, our being wants to be in harmony. And so when we're able to identify what is pulling us away from that balance, away from that harmony, we have more clarity about where our work is. Right. Yeah. So I like oftentimes uh, there's a description of like the internal structure, which is a true description, a, to a Torah description. But I think that it's sometimes shared in a way that then strips it a little bit of the larger complexity, which is the Yetzer Tov, Yetzer Hara, which is often described as like, well, you have the good inclination and the bad inclination. And then we have these, these are really Christian ideas to a large degree where we have these 
you know, the two angels right. that one is telling you do it. The angel and the devil. Them. Exactly. So that's, I mean, taking it to that, to the, the reason why that's a Christian concept is because in the Shulchan Aruch, that's called Shtei Rishuyos, meaning there's two realms. There's like the realm of the good side right. and the realm of the bad side. And they're both there to help us. So, well, so in, in Christian thought, it's very polarized. In other words, there's like this, you know, there's like these two things are at odds with each other, as opposed to in the Torah thought, they're actually part of a larger story. And if you look at the words in Hebrew, not just evil inclination and good inclination, which are not as useful especially because english words in general don't capture almost anything i shouldn't say almost they capture very little <laughs> of what's in the hebrew translation um, is interpretation trans- yes exactly um but this uh this the the the, the words in hebrew yetzer hatov yetzer hara the word yetzer means your creative force in other words you're forced to to manifest in the world and so when you use that force in a way that is um that is distorting away from the totality of what you are so then that starts to cause you misalignments and so what when you think about it this way what i find at least instead of it being this battle i've worked with lots of different people throughout my life where the struggle has always been i have this problem and i'm fighting it and like these things are just you know they're going head to head and who's going to win and that whole approach it's like you're basically trying to almost destroy a part of yourself there because this this misaligned piece is actually part of you. It's just not in the right place. It needs to be moved to where it belongs and to make it more harmonious with, with the with the whole. And just like as an example, um, Yetzer, Again, the words kind of capture it. Yetzer just means creative force. I mean, every every attempt that we have to interact and intersect with existence, our neshama is shining through and trying to now use these tools to like shine into the world and do something here. And then. When we do whatever that is in a way that is not loyal to both the creative thing we're trying to do and the whole entity that we are, that's when things get out of alignment. So simple example would be like eating uh, food that is not healthy, not real food, essentially, right? So what's happening? We're trying to intersect with existence and we're like, okay, I feel this desire for food. That desire for food is something which comes from the, 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 the intersection point. In other words, the body is like this portal that allows the neshama to now interact, and so now it's it's interacting through the desire for food. But then, if you eat food that is destructive for your body, so what you're doing is you're trying to you have two parts. You have the body trying to regenerate, which is why it wants food. Then there is your your habituated perception of something which is not food, as if it is food, meaning like some kind of product that is not really food, that is often sold on store shelves for a variety of reasons yep. that we can go into a different time. <laughs> um, but then, what ends up happening is you're being loyal to the desire but you're not being loyal to the totality. And then you end up eating something which causes damage to the totality. And that creates misalignment between you. And, and it creates it physically because you're eating things that are bad for your body. But you're also creating it perceptually because you're actually developing a perception that it's actually a true thing to eat something, put it into your body, which is actually not food. And then you develop emotional habituations and entanglements and attachments. Oh, that's my favorite food. I love that. And it's like, yeah, it's actually, I mean, I don't know if we're going to open this up in this podcast, but yeah. I mean, the, the microbiome, the, the, the second brain of the gut, there's actually more communication from the gut to the brain than the brain to the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. And when we're, when we're choosing to eat all of these processed foods, high sugar food, because if you actually look at the ingredients, it is sure. shocking how much yeah. sugar is in there. <laughs> but basically we're feeding the the bacteria in our gut and they crave sugar. And we're feeding them and they're telling our brain more. More. I want <laughs> right. more. And it's literally an addiction. And and until we make that shift of detoxing from from the, our sugar addiction, the the 
gut is making these decisions for us. It's not even us. Right. It's not even us. Our gut is telling us what to do. And that's the, really the foundation of, of, of health, being able to have a functional gut. And what is the gut? Like it is a process of taking in the nutrients that we need and letting go of what we don't. If we're not getting what we need in order to thrive, then we are overworking that system and it can't do the process of letting go. I mean, that's what right. we talked about last week with, with, with breath. We don't want to be taking breath. We want to be receiving breath. We want to be receiving the nutrients in the most effortless way possible, right? So that we're not overworking the gut. We're not overworking our body. And then the mind can be available to, for all of this intense and beautiful learning that, that is available right. through the Torah. But if the gut is not working, everything becomes sluggish. Every, we come out of alignment. Right. Yeah. I mean... It's at, like at, at the root. I mean, like the all those 613 mitzvot. So they're all essentially about the way that it's described. It, there's a, a lot of different a lot of different um, Kabbalah writings about how that analogy of the organs and the body parts are almost like literal in a certain way, in the sense that if every mitzvah can be a, a, assigned to a particular part of the body, so then the language that's used is like we're repairing different parts right. of the of the organism. So now what's really cool about that is that every mitzvah kind of operates on different levels too. In other words, like, I'll give an example, like, um, like a mitzvah definitionally is an action, except for basically two exceptions. Um, one is tefillah and one is learning Torah. Every other mitzvah essentially is an action of some kind. Um, and so what that kind of shows you, like, let's say you're doing the mitzvah of Shiluah HaKan. What, that's, you're sending away the mother bird to take the eggs, whatever the reason you're doing that is, okay, you're doing the mitzvah. So there's the action that you're doing. But then every action has internal analogs, correlates. In other words, you're having, there's an emotional dynamic that's going on. Yeah. Um, your interest level, your, your passion about what you're doing, there's, there's thoughts that are part of that. And at the, at the root of all of it, the world of perception, and underneath the root of, perce the, the root of perception is actually, we'll call it the root of the root of perception, which is essentially what's called the ratzon, in your like in, in it's the in the sphere it's called keter it's basically like the 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 first filter of you now starting to try to intersect into existence through perceptions and through thoughts and all these things and so the the emotional and thought space you can think of it as like the mitzvah shilohakan underneath it there's like the torah you have to know in terms of how to do it right and that also has it's supposed to have emotional correlates because you're supposed to feel certain things from what you're from what you're thinking and doing and then there's the ultimate ratzon, like, do you want to do this at your root or not? And that's analogous to the tefillah level, or you can call that also the level of lave. That's another one of the terms that's used, which is like for your heart. Right. But oh, the idea is that, right? But but the idea is that um, that every mitzvah actually operates like kineged, like opposite or in relation to some part of the body. But then underneath, there's like this total dynamic of the think the thoughts you think the Torah thoughts that are related to the mitzvah and then ultimately to actually want that mitzvah in other words like to use the language that the Gemara says in Maseches Pesachim it's this language of like the the tzaddikim are the ones who are who want who are like the hands of Hashem in the world and the idea is like well if Hashem is like the root core self that is underneath all of us and each of us is kind of like an aspect of that so then when we actually do mitzvot, what we're really doing is we're accessing what we deeply, truly want, but we just develop habits 
that get in the way sometimes and make us distort and misalign from those things. And so then the the, the tzaddik is a person who basically is accessing that inner ratzon and now manifesting it. That's why if you ever think about the word tzaddik, like it's often translated as a righteous person, but even the word righteous kind of, it almost gets it. It's like they're, so they're, they're right, but not right like, oh, who's right? We're in an argument. Who's going to win? It's like to be tzaddik means like you're in alignment with reality because to be, to be right means like you nailed it. Like you're in harmony, in alignment with what's true. Right. And so the tzaddik is a person who really is aligned with that stack of things, both the action that they're doing, but then the world of thought, the world of emotion, and the world of ratzon. And so each of those things essentially relates to, like Torah is like, how to align your thoughts. And tefillah is like, how to align your ratzon. To actually want what is, to want what's real, as opposed to like, again, we develop these partial wantings, or these, these they're fragments of wanting. Like, I want food, I want this thing, and it looks like it's food, but the rest of the story of it is not food. And so that creates the misalignment. And that's, a, again, all this goes back to the Itzadah story, that we have the capacity to even develop distorted perceptions in the first place. Yeah. Um, but like, but that's how each of those things is basically like, they're all part of the story of alignment. And we don't think of it so much that way, because alignment is just like a word in English. But actually, it's really, this is like the process of bringing everything into where it belongs, the shalom, to be whole, to be everything in harmony, is like, that's what we're describing here, essentially. Wow. So I'm going to ask you a question because we're talking about translating the mistranslation that happens from right. Hebrew to English. But when I was studying yoga therapy, um, I, everyone was really struggling to find a word in Hebrew to, for alignment. Oh, that's so funny because that's, that's a, it's a classic word. Everybody uses this word all the we time. We use it all the time. Yeah. But but it, we're not, we don't think of it it's as almost alignment. Never, yeah, it's never translated that way. The word is lehit palal. Really, it's the word palal. Um, and we'll sh- just show that in a second, like how that's really what alignment, why that means alignment. Um, but yeah, it's uh, unfortunately, again, like the English, the, the translation dynamic is a problem. We start talking about prayer or davening. These are words that we can use culturally and they're not, it's not like they're they're completely useless or anything. But actually, it hurts a little bit every time I say I'm going to daven now. Cause it's oh, just I like, can't say it. My, right, my son I, knows. I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to go be mitzpalev. Right. And like, I'm like, I'm going to go align myself with Hashem. And my, my dad, he's like, he's like, you're not, what does it mean to be mitzpalev? Right. I'm like, I just, just How do we mix English and Hebrew at all? It doesn't work. Like, I try to say I'm going to tefillah. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, but it's, or we engage in tefillah, I'll say sometimes. But like, it's because I, I can't anymore. I just can't keep saying, I mean, praying is like even a different, it's a different planet because praying is begging, right. which has nothing to do. I mean, there's there's a dynamic of asking as part of tefillah intrinsically, the, it's language of bakasha, but you're not asking from a place of, first of all, it's definitely not from a place of begging. It's from a place of needing someone else and knowing that they are the source of, of the rest of yourself. And that's what we do yeah. in a relationship too. It's like when you have a shared like a, a shared bond with somebody and like you need them because they're part of you and you can't live without them to a certain degree because it's like you it's like losing a part of yourself right so that's what we have with Hashem and like when we ask Hashem for things so we're trying to experience this that we're trying to undo the hester hester panim we could call it like that where there's actually hester hester panai is what it says I think it's partial nitzavim or vayelech probably um, but it's like this double hester where it's like not only do we not see Hashem we, we don't, don't yeah, we don't see that we don't, that we see. don't see. Yeah, yeah. so it's like you need to you you need to to get back into the place of I need Hashem as the rest of who I am. That's what bakasha is. But it's definitely like praying is like you know it's just like so. 
So, I mean, I know for myself, in, instinctively, intuitively, in an embodied way, it's always made sense to me that tefillah is coming into alignment and uh, on, on a neshama level. And I'm wondering if you can help some of our listeners or viewers. Um, Palal, we're, help us understand that that. Okay. That word as right. as as alignment. Right. So we'll 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 draw from a few places for this. The simplest one, again, I I always like to go to primary things, but there's such an awesome thing in Riff Cook that I'll I'll mention that too. Yes, please. Um, yeah. No, really, like it's mind blowing to read it. Um, but um, I mean, in the Chumash, the language comes up in Parshas Vayechi, which is with the story of Yaakov and Yosef. That Yaakov is talking to Yosef after having not seen him for like whatever twenty years, and uh, and he says to him. Um, I think it's Oti Gamet Zarecha. Like he's like, I never palalti that I would ever see your face again. And here Hashem has even shown me your children, which is like obviously a very moving thing. Yaakov thought he was that Yosef was dead. It's like there, and there's a lot of backstory to that, which I'll direct everyone to, to the Chumash cast to, to check that out because it's an amazing, amazing story. There's just so much going on there. Um, but, uh, but, if you look at Rashi there, so Rashi says, that, what does it mean, palalti, uh, lo, lo filalti, filalti? He says, um, lo mileti et libi lachshov machshavot. Like, I never let my heart fill up mm. with, like, these thoughts. Now, it's a funny language because it's, like, lave, but also thinking, and it's, like, and mileti is, like, this language of filling, like, what's he saying exactly? Like, it's too, there's almost, like, too many terms there. Um, so well, let's add another thing in there for a second, which is that the word palal also appears in Parshish Mishpatim. It talks about a situation where there's a, a problem between two people. And it says that in that situation, benatan biflilim, you have to take it to flilim. It's like an avera plilit. It's still used that way today. It means like a, right. a, 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 an offense that can be um, prosecuted. And so it's like send it to the judges. So the, the, the Rishonim, I mean, the Gemara essentially defines plilim as, as the judges. So that's a little weird. Like, what does that have to do with the story of like what Yaakov is saying? Or, you know, so when you try to understand like what are judges exactly? So judges are basically people who look at a situation in which there's some kind of conflict. And then they say, okay, there's some, here's our standard of what should be. And now we're going to try to bring you into alignment with that. They're aligners. They're basically people who are trying to bring people who are now out of sync with each other in some way, the shell of damaged. Their perception is preventing them from being able to see. I mean, definitely their perception the for sure. Yeah. They see each other as adversaries, right? And then they're 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 butting heads because of that. Um, and so, and then there needs to also be sometimes if there's damages, there has to be some kind of a solution. Okay, so you caused damage to me, so now we're actually physically out of alignment too. So the judges have to basically bring all of that back into its proper harmonious dynamic. Um, and so. That also, when we look at what Yaakov is doing, so what Yaakov is saying is he he basically was in a state where he 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 thought he lost his son, and he had never allowed himself to bring himself back to a head we'll call it a headspace of a certain kind, and so there you really see Yaakov like the language is like it focuses much more on on his thinking, and his thinking within his lave. In other words, it's like. There, what was he doing? He obviously emotionally and perceptually was yearning. He felt he lost his son, and now he and his son are out of sync. Like in other words, he and or he and his existence really are out of sync. And so what he was trying to, what he was saying was, I the the way to fix that on its face, there's only two ways to fix losing somebody. There's the the obvious way, which is to have them back. 
but that's not often that's not always possible and he thought it maybe wasn't possible and so he grappled with that for like that's what it actually tell it says in the, in Parsifalia when he loses Yosef he's like you know I, I, I he he can't do it he's like unable to ever come back from it basically that's what he says um, so here he's like he's explaining how he never allowed himself to fill himself with perceptions and thoughts of bringing him to that place. And so what comes out of that, and this is where I'll just bring in Rav Cook's introduction to, he has, Rav Cook has this amazing, amazing commentary on the Siddur. It's called Olat Raya. And his introduction to that is like 70 pages long. Yeah. And it's like the most important part of the book. It's crazy. It's an unbelievable, unbelievable introduction. So what he basically writes there is that the neshama, meaning our core consciousness, is our real self, is in a constant state of tefillah. And then what happens is, because essentially because of the Eitzadas, so we develop these pseudo-ideas and pseudo-perceptions and pseudo-approaches to existence, and they can come from anything, from trauma, what we were talking about earlier. They come from whatever kinds of stimuli, some are very basic, like food things, but some are like, you know, macro, massive stimuli, like actual trauma. And then we can't, we can't access the neshama side of ourselves as easily because we're so embedded in some part of the body relationship with existence. And so the neshama is always in a state of tefillah with Hashem, constantly in a state of, of alignment, harmonious oneness with Hashem, because the neshama right. is an extension of Hashem's self that is us. And so what he basically describes there is like, our job is to actually live the tefillah that we're already living. And so what the word palal is, is like, like in Yaakov's case, it's particularly ironic because he... Wait, had, I need you to pause for okay, a second. Okay, sorry, yeah. Say something back. Yes. No, I don't want Recap. to say anything. I need to, I need to process what you just <laughs> <Okay>. said. <That's laughs> a lot sentence. of things there. So many things, yeah. I'm, I'm shoving a lot we're of stuff into the, one living the tefillah that we're all... We need to live the tefillah that we're already living. Is that what you said? Essentially, yes. Okay. It's already, it's already in existence. We, we're, we're looking to access and... and engage with it and function from that place yes okay i mean the tricky part of that i usually break this apart into finer pieces yeah because it's a little bit more absorb absorbable is that the right word <laughs> there um but like the what of cook like of cook's particular model is just very intense how he says it because what he's really doing is he's telling you that you already are one with Hashem. You already are right. in alignment, and there's and this is just like a thin what's called, it's like the the thin barrier that's described by the Navi as blocking us off from Hashem, and that's almost like again because Rav Cook was so alive in the things that he was saying, his language is so embodying of these things that for him it's almost like yeah it's just, that's just like a thin shell like the re, like the real you is this blinding nuclear bomb of light, and like yeah you have like a little here and there like little blockages like. Those are nothing. You can easily dissolve those. You know, it's right. super, super easy. It might take you like 60 years, but like you'll do it. You know, like he's very almost like optimistic in his intensity. Right. Um, but that's really what he's talking about. In other words, what all these, what these pieces are doing is um, they're telling you that what tefillah is, is fundamentally first the concept of alignment. Lehit palel means to align yourself. So that's why it's, it's a reflexive form. Yeah. I think there's another word that that's come up a few times already. That's I know in my work is is essential. Hope. Yeah. That that we need to have this this aspect of hope that there can be change, that there can be growth, that there can be healing, in order to be engaged in this process of trying to come into alignment. Because when we don't have that hope, right? How, how can we? 
Yaakov didn't have, didn't let himself have the hope that, that maybe Yosef would come back. Right. So he couldn't come into alignment. Right? Yeah. But once we have that, that hope, that little spark comes back, everything becomes possible. And then, yeah, it's just, it might, it might take you 60 years, but like anything is possible. Right. And the word for hope in Hebrew, so that's actually, it's the word likavot which is like from the word tikva, same word as that. But what's really cool about that word is it's also the word for mikvah. And that's because the definition of hope essentially is that what a mikvah is supposed to represent is that you can, your the mikvah is the endless waters. It's mayim right. she'en sof. And what, that, what we're doing when we go into a mikvah is we're trying to fuse with the oneness that we once were part of. In other words, we get we get very stuck inside of these discrete parts of the world we're trying to go back into the mikvah and become one with that and so the reason why that's why that's hope is because when you look to your past your past is fixed in a certain yeah. way and you're just stuck in it and it's like well if you when you when you go into the into the mikvah and you become essentially disembodied that's literally what it is in a certain way like you're 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 going to the mikvah when it's dark by the way that's wild because it's all silent and dark and you can't see or hear anything and you're completely deaffronated you're just cutting cut off from everything yeah and then um so that's essentially exactly the same process that we're discussing here in other words like pulling out of existence to to align yourself with yourself okay uh, lower yeah. self higher self you're basically trying to like get to the neshama that you already are and then come back into the world renewed and fully activated okay I yeah but there's something else there. really Set, important yes. that we also yeah. do when we go to the mikvah yeah. <laughs> on a very physical level what do you do right before you go into the mikvah you take a breath hmm. and what are you not doing in the mikvah right breathing right and 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 you're not you're not taking you're not receiving you're you're you are in pause. the pause yeah. in between right. in the synapse and that's where we can make change because that is the present moment that's the only place that we have any 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 nigia, any um capacity to make any kind of impact or influence in the present moment and the more we allow ourselves to expand that those pauses, not just in the mikvah, but in our lives, right? How can I allow myself that moment to make a choice instead of being in react in a reactive state or or just stuck in the habits, right? And uh, when when we really master that, then we can be living in alignment because we're choosing what is what is my intention what is my ultimate goal here in this moment not the last one not right. the next one this one right now right yeah so in the chumash actually so the word for mikvah shows up very early it's actually one of the it's a primordial word like what the vilna Gon calls like the earlier words are more dense because like there's so much more this is what we'll call it so much, like when you know the first time that the torah talks about yom is in the very first paragraph, right? right. Um, by, by Carlo Kimla, or Yom Hashem calls the light, he calls that day. And people often, unfortunately, take that and say, okay, there's six days of creation, but it's very clear that he's actually talking about the or, and that's what Yom is. And, right. Okay, but the uh, but the next paragraph talks about Yikavu Hamayim, that all the water has to be kind of gathered into this body of water. And so in Kabbalah, like the, what the meaning of that is that it's called the, the that's what's called the level of Bina. Because essentially what Kabbalah describes how there's, these there are these two homogenous masses we'll call them there's the homogenous mass of light like light is it's all light 
And then there's also water. All of water is the same. In other words, the same, relatively speaking, okay. assuming there's nothing suspended in it, but the water itself. And it's all homogenous. You know, we have a cup of water. That's why that's why it's called mayim. It's like the language of mi yam. We're taking some of the yam, and the yam is this endless homogenous mass. And so, like this, the mikvah is supposed to represent like the homogenous oneness that is that is the we'll call it. The, it's like essentially the level of bina or the level of what's called rachamim. Rachamim from the language of rechem. That what we're really talking about is like we're immersing ourselves into a state of absolute like rachamim. That Hashem is just like our He's our cheerleader. He's like, he's supporting us completely in that state. And again, like there is a side to existence that is the side of judgment, of assessing, of figuring out, does, does, it, does this work? Should we cut this off? Does it not work? But like when you get too deep inside of that, as we do every day, when we're awake and living in a world that is often merc- merciless in terms of certain things that can happen to us. And then we are trying to go into a state of that endless body of water that is actually just representative of the endless oneness that we're actually a part of and that we're beyond all of these linear cause effect like you're a victim of circumstance instead you can go to that pause space that's why it's part of the world of bina because the world of bina essentially is the world of rachamim the world of bina is when we talk about hashem combined din and rachamim to create existence it's that he actually took the judgment side and basically he threw it into the pool of bina and it's like now judgment is just ensconced that's a cool word to use it's ensconced um, inside of the ocean of potential, the ocean of of, right. of specialness, of, of who we are at a, at a deeper level. So that way judgment doesn't get out of control. That's literally the pause. And so what you're basically describing is like, okay, so how do I activate that while I'm in a moment of judgment? Can we sometimes press pause on the world? Can we sometimes like, even if we're living in a painful moment, can we actually like plug ourselves in at the same time to that well of endless what might be or what could be there's still so much that can become instead of being stuck constantly in the moment and in the past moments that always tell us no this is just what you are and you're just stuck with this right i mean i think that that's the entire purpose of tefillah and we have regular times throughout the day that we are invited to come back and practice being in that state so that we can access it and engage with it and utilize it to its full potential in between all those times right. that, that we're engaged in tefillah that, that, I mean, to eventually be at a state where we're always in tefillah. Right. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> the more we practice, the more we practice, it's showing up over and over and over and over again and noticing how we're changing and how we're shifting. But the tools are, the tools are, are always there. They're always accessible to us when we when we allow ourselves to be open to it right yeah someone actually just uh, using the new whatsapp feature um at your soda blocks they uh act, sent me this question and they they said um how do i get better at fila like it, when i'm when i when i go to to shul so like it's all so fast and and so i basically said i was like well that's like fila is not just during those times. In other words, yeah. like if you spend time learning what the words mean and the words are supposed to trigger a cascade of thoughts that are essentially the thoughts that we're literally sharing right now, and then you get more and more used to that and you and you live in a way, whether it's with breathing and other tools that we'll talk about just some of these exercises, but like um, just you basically get more and more like that with those kinds of pauses. So then, then you can do it during those three set times, but then you can also be in that state constantly. And, that, and that's really what Rav Cook is talking about. Like, we're in a state, at the root, we're in a state of tefillah with Hashem all the time. And then yeah. the more we kind of 
get used to doing to accessing that state, then it just becomes, first of all, even if it's very fast, you can do tefillah in an instant for an instant. And then you can do tefillah in a moment when you get, you know, you get a half hour in shul to, to, to do tefillah every day or whatever, or, you know, how many, how many times you go. Um, those times can all be, it's so easy to slip in and out when you get used to it, when you really know what the words are and you know how all, the, all these associated thoughts, it just becomes very seamless in a certain way. Yeah. In my mind, I have all these ideas of different <laughs> different things I want to I want to share with our listeners and viewers, um, different tools that we can use throughout our day. Because, I mean, my specialty is working with people who are dealing with ongoing pain. Right. Um, that's my background, and um, most of the pe- a lot of the people that come to work with me. Um, have been dealing with pain for extended periods of time. And anyone who is living with ongoing pain knows that it is incredibly difficult to think about anything else. Yeah, there are moments where we're able to, you know, get stuff done, and but there's this awareness of pain that's, that's just always there. Right. Um, and and what we're trying to do is is find find the support, the harmony that we need on a physical level to allow energetic harmony and and mental, emotional harmony and spiritual harmony to exist. Right. Um, but I know like before the Chagim, I always have women come up to me and they're like, can you please do like a pre like pre Chagim, like tefillah prep, like just so I know how to like stand for so long in shul without, without it hurting me because yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't, Davin, I can't be focused on the words in the Sidor and the Machzor when when my back is hurting me. So how can I how can I not hurt so much so I can actually be engaged in the process of tefillah? And and I mean it has to do with like when was the last time you went for a walk? Right. When you went for a walk, were you were you paying attention to the support that you were getting from the ground? Were you noticing how your body is moving? And it, just as simple as that. Um, and simple, but it's also very, it could be very complex. Right. Um, but something that really helped me, um, um, make all of this engagement more accessible is three phrases, <laughs> prop, collapse, and yield. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is from Bonnie Brainbridge Cohn from the body mind centering approach. And um, what she explains is that we can be in a state of prop. And I, I w- we're going to try this with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when we're in a state of prop, we are holding ourselves. This is in relation to gravity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So am I letting gravity hold me or am I propping myself uh, and kind of saying no to gravity? Right. Right. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we can be in a state of collapse. So if you've ever um, held a baby with Down syndrome or you know, even just a kid that doesn't want to be picked up, <laughs> right. right? They are in a state of <laughs> collapse and they all, all of gravity is working on them real right. hard. Right. Um, they are not using muscle to, to hold themselves up at all. They are just making themselves as heavy as possible. Right. Um, and what we're trying to find is a state of yield where we're not holding ourselves up, but we're not collapsed. 
we are allowing ourselves to both receive the support of the earth that Hashem provided for us and allow gravity to hold us here. Mm-hmm. And when we find that place of yield, it's a relationship. I'm letting the weight of my body go down into the earth, but I'm also letting the support of the earth rise up through me. I don't have to be holding myself. I can let gravity hold me. We can breathe better, right? We can let muscles that are overworked relax a little bit. We can discover muscles in our feet and our legs that maybe are not as as active as they as they can be Um, but it's not from a place of i need to hold myself here or everything is going to fall apart it's i trust that hashem hashem is holding me just like we talked about last week hashem is breathing me hashem is holding me hashem created this earth created gravity so that i i can be i can exist here i can function here i can move here um and it's just like an interesting thing to, to to think about to consider throughout your day and i know for myself when i'm um before i do that when before i say that midah, i always take a moment and just check in and let notice how much of the weight of my body is being supported by the ground Mm -hmm. and how much can i let that support flow up through me can i feel it fill up into my heart and um and and part of that that process is is kind of turning off the frontal lobe a little bit and going back into the cellular wisdom that the body has because the body right. wants to be there. Right. The body knows how to be there and allowing that effortless existence to to be and and letting our tefillah come from from that place is right. I mean it's like that's it sounds like the prop concept is a situation in which you're almost like you're you're trying too hard. Right, yeah. you're you're basically like you're. I need to be in control. Right, and that's what's what's very cool about that that entire model. I mean, it's very clear. I think the way you just explained it, that it's just to just as you said, like the, the earth that Hashem put there, kind of to hold us. Um, it's actually interesting in the Torah. It's always called um, like we get what's called an achuzat karka, which is like achuz means to hold. It's like so we, they, they they call it in English also holdings. Like yeah. these are your territorial holdings. Like they're holding you. We think of it as we're holding it, but actually it's holding us, and it ultimately does hold us until Triasa Mesim happens. And um, yeah. but like, but the the this slowly, incrementally, very subtly developing need to control, I guess, our whole being. It's like when you're just sitting and you're kind of like, there's all this embedded tension that we develop just for just because life is difficult sometimes and we get very embedded in life and then we start to struggle with it and actually view life as an adversary to it, it could be very subtle in the background even sometimes it's overt also but in, when it's more subtle then it's actually in a certain way more insidious because it's like we just hold ourselves rigidly when we don't really need to because yeah. we can't let go and, and as you said i think like you know the world of our thought often um becomes prominently featured in that process we we're overthinking we're trying so hard to to fix things or figure things out that are really things that are that are inputs they're just part of existence and we can if we can kind of stop again we're not saying that you shouldn't think thinking is very important yes. <laughs> but the idea here important is that, clarification. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but that that sometimes we think so much and so hard that we're actually doing the work that other parts of our being are supposed to be um, supporting exactly. us. That's, that's how you said it earlier, like about how 
parts of the body are not, you know, are not getting activated or that you don't even know those muscles are even there anymore because we're so busy holding ourselves right. in a certain way. And that's just, and that's, it's basically awareness that we spoke about in the first episode to some degree. And then alignment is like the result of that. It's like, well, once you're more aware of what you're doing and how much you're, you're letting the need to fix some problem or whatever bleed into your body dynamic, so then you can actually sense the misalignment that comes from that and then start to let yourself lean on Hashem. And leaning on Hashem there is like, it's not just like in, a, in, in the thought world. Again, often it's like, I'll yeah. give you a Dvar Torah about how it's good to be anav and like let go and let Hashem run things. And that's true. But like what that means in the body level. Yeah. When, you, when we become, I, I'm going to just use myself as an example because... I'm the one talking. <laughs> so I know that I carry a lot of my tension in my jaw. Yeah. And I know this is a pattern that is familiar to lots of people. <laughs> um, but my tongue just goes, holds, holds me. The jaw holds me. Everything is, is tense. And um, when I can become aware of that, I mean, I think I talked about this last time with breathing. The breath is uh, is immediately impacted. The way I'm thinking, the way I'm feeling, the way I'm able to engage with with myself, with with my child, with with my friends, with colleagues, it 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 just opens everything up. It makes a complete shift. So we're always asking, where's where's the access point? If I'm not able to access tefillah because I'm in pain then let's address that pain. Right. If I'm not able to address that pain because I am fearful, let's address the fear. Right. Or let's address the pain and notice what kind of impact that has on the fear. And and can I experience the 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 surrender, the the trust, the love of Hashem's presence? Um what what do I what do I want to get let go of to allow myself to experience that. Right. And it's, it's just these perpetual checking in with all these different aspects, all these opportunities. You know, it's not like a checklist, you know, right. <laughs> checklist Judaism. Okay, I did this, I did this, I did this. No, but it's, it's, I have an opportunity to explore this aspect. I have an opportunity to explore this aspect. And the more I allow myself to, to see the wholeness of myself, the wholeness of being, the more the more harmonious and aligned we become the more effortless i'm not saying that existence is effortless but the more we're able to 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 live with um with less struggle less pain to access that right. even if there is pain and right. there is struggle in the world not even if even when, even when. <laughs> life is pain um no <laughs> um it's it completely changes our relationship. You know, I know when people people ask me, people who have known me for a while know that I've been dealing with pain for a, a, most of my life, and and they're like, "Oh, so you're you're not in pain anymore?" I'm like, <laughs> "Well, it's more complicated than that. Yes, I still experience pain, but the way I relate to it is completely different." Right. You know, I'm uh, oh Hashem, thank you for bringing my awareness to how I was sitting. Thank you for letting me know that I was not breathing. Okay, there are things that I can shift to to allow myself to exist with more ease, with more harmony. Right. 
yeah so i guess we should we should start to wrap this up um because we're at basically almost 50 minutes now um, <laughs> we keep going <laughs> right exactly as we go forever well um, luckily there's more episodes <laughs> right exactly i guess i'll i'll just um i'll just close by saying again like what's the whole motif like the theme of what we're doing here and i think it's just so cool to watch it in action like i I feel like I'm I'm listening to us while we're also doing it. Um, speaking of awareness and kind of just being in like this, you know, disembodied dynamic. But like, what's so cool about it is that, right, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, is that the, all these ideas, I mean, they're just, these are just, as opposed to when they're unmoored in a certain way and they're not part of the Torah and they're just, they're described more as like, in a, in a more general sense, I mean, just watching how all these things are literally just activating the Torah principles that we're talking about here and that we're able to go into all this detail and like hearing your descriptions of like the way that people actually are, the way that you felt with your own pain and like how to actually grapple with that. And even as you said, that last part, right? Like not that, not that it becomes effortless to, to just be alive, but it's that trying to access, accessing the, the, the holistic big picture principles of all these things in a way that makes it more seamless to, to, to relate to life, even as life throws difficult things. But it's like, instead of it always being this sense of struggle to actually activate the things that are, that are those true things. Again, like what Cook said, it's like, we already are in that state, just trying to get there. Like that's yeah. where the problems are. Yeah. And so seeing all those parts in action, again, I hope everybody who's listening really uh, is able to follow all the pieces here, all the ingredients and how they and all add up. And if you didn't, up. please be in touch with us. Right, exactly. We would love to hear yeah. from you. <laughs> and also, as the episodes continue, I mean, I think we're going to keep on building this and taking the way that we articulated the Tefillah concept, the alignment concept, like all these pieces, and continue to show more and more techniques uh, of all these things and how they, and that, that really allows it to, a lot of this, even if you understand the ideas, when you live it, the integration of it becomes it's incredible. The experiential integration yeah. is like the next level of this. So... Yeah, you have any any parting thoughts? I heard you say party thoughts. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> party thoughts are also great. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, parting thoughts. I just, I, I'm just going to invite our listeners and viewers to to explore this prop collapse yield and um, the nuances that that are available um, because we can you know, our entire body can be in a state of prop, right. our entire body can be in a state of collapse, or we could have little parts of us that are, are holding different memories, different thoughts, feelings, um, experiences. And, and if we can be open to engaging with that, um, then, I mean, that's this guy's really what it, what it's about. Right. And, and, and not just engaging, but, but, Understanding that this is all Hashem. Hashem right. is breathing us. Hashem is supporting us. Hashem is containing us, um, and, and and making space for for Hashem. Right. It's it's living as the manifestation of Hashem Self in yeah. all its ways. It's awesome. All right. Well, let's stop with that. If you want to get more access to Ariella, you can find her at Yoga with Ariella. Dot com and more Yisod Blocks content, obviously, YisodeBlocks.com and check us out. Check check out the other episodes of this series if you haven't heard them yet. And the Yisod Blocks podcast, all the other things that we're trying to do to share this stuff in as many ways as possible. And thanks so much for joining us and uh, see you in the next episode. Bye. <laughs> all right. <laughs>